What's going on, everybody? This is your host of the Fantasy Football Astronauts podcast, Daniel Harms. And with me today, I have a very special guest, Dwayne McFarlane. You can find his work over at pff.com. He is also the co-host of the Fantasy Football Hustle podcast. You'll check that out. Dwayne, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing good. I'm super excited about being on, Daniel. I think we've interacted on Twitter for probably like three years. Just been about three years, yeah. Yeah, about three years, and um, like we've never talked before live, but like you know, I'm responding to your tweets, you respond to mine. Mm-hmm. So this, I, I love this. I love whenever I get to come hang out with people that like I know them, but I don't really know them, and so it's awesome, like to you know get to to see a face and have a conversation. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We've had some nice interactions. You put out great, great content, and if you're not following him on Twitter, you really should be doing that. You can do that at Dwayne McFarlane. It makes it very easy for you to find himself on Twitter. Um, today we are going to talk about your 2022 fantasy football wide receiver tiers and rankings for everybody that's listening that maybe doesn't know exactly what you do and hasn't seen the article itself just give them a brief explanation of the culmination of how you go about your tiers and your rankings sure um first of all like this is my first year full-time um in the fantasy industry i come from another industry but i've been doing fantasy for a very long time obviously and then Um, This opportunity came up with PFF last August. Um, So by the time I could jump in full-time last year, it was like everybody was drafting, right? So Mm -hmm. it was like get as much content and strategy stuff as I could out. And so now having a full off-season has been been awesome because there's there's a lot of stuff that I've kind of – there's methodologies and ways that I've gone about creating my – rankings and all that kind of stuff in the past but i really wanted to like test it better like this off season i wanted to pull in more data um because working with pff obviously being such an awesome data company all Mm -hmm. the data points and things they have and there's still more like i could get to um but i wanted to more formalize really um my process and and honestly for a big part of it is because so many people ask like Mm -hmm. hey like, how do you do it? Um, and I've written some stuff for Matt Waldman in the past about how to develop projections, right? But projections and rankings are two different yes. things. So this is almost like um, I should probably write a piece about this now that you're asking, um, because like I wrote the piece about projections and I probably need to write a piece now about, OK, now now you've you've heard projections, but how to how do rankings work and then bringing mm-hmm. them together, like kind of is like the full story of fantasy. But for for the wide receivers. Um, most of the things I focus on, um, you know, are really stats that we know are pretty sticky year over year. Um, they're stats that we believe that usually the players own or they own some large portion of them. And then I weight everything um, based on how much we really think, you know, how important, A, the statistic or data point we're using is, as well as, you know, um, how much do we really think the player owns it? Because a couple of things I still throw in here that I want to know and understand that I know aren't exclusive to the player, but they're still important in understanding like, you know, really the full definition of what a player could be. So like at a high level, like just to kind of, so like everybody doesn't turn off the podcast, like (laughs) it's, it starts with, it's pretty simple talent. Can Mm -hmm. the, and for receivers, the number one thing is can a receiver generate targets? So what I mean by that is you'll hear a lot of people like, last year with Amon Ross St. Brown, right? At the end of the year, they're like, oh my God, he just blew up because TJ Hawkinson was hurt and because DeAndre Swift was hurt. I don't believe that. I believe Mm -hmm. that Amon Ross St. Brown, yes, um, saw a 30% target share because those other two players were hurt and he may have seen a 25 or a 22 before, but at the end of the day, 
he still ended up, he had to, he had to deliver those targets. He had to get open. He had mm-hmm. to do things to get those targets. Right. So we see players all the time that come along that all of a sudden there's nobody on the depth chart, nobody, you know, standing in their way and they can never get a 30% target share. Um, Amari Cooper's had, and nothing isn't anything against Amari Cooper, but Amari Cooper's had how long in his career and played on how many depth charts where he could have had a 30% target share and just hasn't right. Mm-hmm. He's a 20 to 21%, 22% type player. So that's the number one thing. Can the player generate targets? Um, the next part of talent is once you get a target, can you do something right. with it? Right. Um, so, and, and, and kind of folded into that is not just once you get it, but can you demand deep targets? Right. So those mm-hmm. are air yards. Can you run after the catch? Um, then ultimately those two things together really kind of add to your explosive play rate. And then the last part is really touchdowns. So touchdowns comes down, your explosive play rate is part of it. And then the other part of it is, you know, what kind of weapon are you really in the red zone? You know, one or end zone is even more important. Mm-hmm. Like, can't, are you a player that can just be targeted, get open in the end zone when the field is condensed and demand, you know, targets? And so that's everything with talent. And so that all comes together. If anybody goes to see my tears over on PFF, you'll see everything that I just talked about. And then the last part is the situation. So we've talked about the player side, but then there's also like, you know, what's the environment for the mm-hmm. wide receiver? So the number one thing you want to know is, is it a pass heavy offense, right? Is it a run heavy offense? So I do all of that based on projections, looking at previous coaches. And I, re- I take out overtime plays because a lot of teams in the past, like there, there's the data gets noisy because one team played three overtime games. So we don't care about that. I just no. take projected dropbacks per game in a 17 that we think we're going to see in a 17 game season. And so that's number one. Then number two is not is it high quantity it's like what's the quality like okay do you have a good quarterback and so one easy way to do that is combining the dropbacks per game and for quarterback you know i i look obviously i study the quarterback so i know what i think about them but an easy way to test yourself is just like what's the adp of their quarterback you know using market Mm -hmm. using the market typically most markets are efficient they're not perfect so I always want to respect the marketplace. So the marketplace is always part of this model, right? Um, so ADP dri- is is one of the drivers, the other drivers in this, right? Um, because the other part I want to do is when I'm creating these tiers, I never want to get way off of consensus because the way people use tiers is to draft, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I still want to help you accomplish your goal of drafting, but not drafting a player too high. So just sorry, I kind of got off on sidetrack. A couple other things there. Um, the last thing is what's your target competition? Um, well, actually one before that is your team projected wins by Vegas. So that goes into quality, right? So you got the number of dropbacks a game you're going to have. Are you a good team? So if you look at statistically speaking, there's no other individual player statistic at a player level, right? That correlates more strongly to wins in the NFL than yards per attempt passing, right? So using the team projected wins is another way of trying to look at the quality QD QB ADP is one piece, but running quarterbacks get pushed up the board sometimes, Mm -hmm. but team projected wins together, typically teams that win more score more points, right? Sometimes you'll see these, you know, super defensive teams, not as much today. Um, but typically you got teams that are going to score more points. And then the last thing is what's your target competition. So an easy way to look at that is, um, how many other top 36 receivers are there on the team and how many other type top 12 tight ends are on the team. And so like, if you look at a guy like Justin Jefferson, um, it's just him, the top 36, it's close. Adam Thielen like 38 or 39 right now in ADP. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at him across the board, they're like every metric I just named you, he smashes everything in talent and he's blue across the board. So I do like this blue red scale. So he, he checks every single box. He's only 23.2 years old. The last part I didn't talk about is a career arc, right? So if a player is younger and ascending, we know there's more room for them to keep getting better. That usually stops 
around year six or around year seven, and you see players start, and it can be earlier for some players, and then definitely by years eight, nine, and ten, players are starting to trail off. You'll get your occasional Brandon Marshalls. Uh, you'll get your occasional, um, you know, Andre Johnsons, uh, Steve Smiths. These guys keep playing really well into years 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, but they're pretty rare, and it's hard for them to continue putting up wide receiver one seasons. Usually they're more likely to be putting up wide receiver two, wide receiver three seasons, and they're just hanging around in the league just because they've been so good for so long. Larry Fitzgerald fits that bucket as well. So um, I know that's a little long, but I, I really do like to set it up the right way because if without that, it's kind of like, well, what is all this? Uh, what does all this mean? You know, so everything that I'm doing is very intentional. Um, and I'm hoping like the, the cool part about it is I share all this data, Daniel, so that mm -hmm. and, and I put them into tiers, but you can look at it yourself. Like you can actually look at it and say, well, you know, you know, Dwayne, I think Dwayne's overrating the talent part of this. I think that the situation um, for the Eagles for A.J. Brown is just too much for me. It's just too much for me. So I'm going to push him further down my board. That's fine. You'll see that when you get to AJ Brown's tier, like dropbacks per game, um, you know, target competition, projected wins, none of those things look really good for mm -hmm. AJ Brown. They all look average to bad, but his talent looks like he belongs in tier one. So, does that make sense? Any questions? Like, or um, no? I think that was an act clear. Okay. I think that was a great breakdown of it for everyone that, that one does have no idea what you're looking at because at the end of the day. In order to take in information, you still have to understand it. I think you did a great job of explaining it in a way that you can definitely understand it. And if you guys heard, there's like a, there are a ton of receivers on here. The tiers go all the way to eight and literally like just tons and tons of players that you, you can see on there. So definitely go check that out. We're, we're not going to obviously give away the farm today, but we're going to talk a little bit about someone we just mentioned. You just mentioned a little bit, Justin Jefferson being at the top of this whole thing, because I think. When it comes down to the situation, like you, you mentioned, Alan, Adam Thielen being there, probably productive for another year, maybe two at the most, that's mostly in terms of a touchdown threat. That's something that Kirk Cousins has shown that he wants to throw the ball to Adam Thielen in those touchdown areas. He finds ways to get open. But Jeff, Justin Jefferson, two elite seasons, period. Like he's been the guy there. And what you really want for those younger players is, yeah, they come out, they have a great year. Can they solidify that? And I think Justin Jefferson has done that multiple times over, being able to show what he's done on the field, not just as a talent perspective, but having the situation with a Kirk Cousins who's not maybe the best quarterback in the world, but he gets the ball to him downfield. He knowingly targets him in accurate situations to, to most benefit Justin Jefferson. So I really liked what you said about his overall prospect evaluation. The talent is clearly there. And then, when you look at the Vikings, it might not be the best situation from the outside, but when you identify that he really has no competition, he's clearly the best guy there. And they do want to run the ball a little bit more, but the efficiency of those targets really bumps him up in my mind as well. So it makes a, a ton of sense that he's there. One other guy in this top five range that is a very polarizing player, C.D. Lamb. What do you think of C.D. Lamb, the player, now as well as the situation surrounding him? Yeah. So, um, first, like just to give folks a little context, my, you you talked about Justin Jefferson, Jefferson, mm -hmm. he's in tier one, a, so like the talent, the situation, everything in this heat map that I share is like a dark blue, <laughs> you know, yeah. then you have the next tier, which is one B and I have CD lamb at the top of it. Um, but again, tiers mean you could argue anyone in the tier. Um, and I would be fine. Like you could take that yeah. player instead. Like then you could just kind of look at ADP and be like, well, is there a way I could get both of them? 
right? And that really go. becomes your new mission. Mm-hmm. But for C.D. Lamb, I've got him at the top of tier 1B with Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams. And obviously, um, for folks that can go on you know, the website and see it, one, it'll be pretty easy. If you look for the next player that's literally blue all the way across after Justin Jefferson in the top tier, the only one that's there is C.D. Lamb. And so whenever you look at Lamb, um, I know some people are a little bit afraid of him. Um, you know, when you look at you look at his targets. So targets, I look at two things. One, I look at target share. And typically, if a player has played a long time, they're playing, um, you know, they didn't they weren't hurt during the season. They weren't hurt for periods in the season. Target share is the easiest thing to talk about because people understand it. But targets mm-hmm. per route run is really um, an easier way to look at it because then we don't have to worry about when a player was hurt, when they weren't, you know, where if they were on the field, we're just going to hold them accountable for it. And so when you look at CD lamb, you look at his targets per route run already at a 22%. So that's already at a, a wide receiver two uh, tier level, right? And he's already got a wide receiver three and a wide receiver two finish anyway, to mm-hmm. his name. Look, the easiest way to identify future huge breakout seasons is to find players that have already had a wide receiver three or, or wide receiver two seasons. Those are the guys who are going to be the most likely, you know, to to boom and have a huge wide receiver one season or just finish as a wide receiver one period, right? That's just the way it works. But for Lamb, he checks all of the other boxes as well because sometimes we don't get that signal ahead of time where they've already had a wide receiver two or three season. And so he checks all the boxes that a player would need to check if they didn't already have those. So his targets per route run at 22%. Jamar Chase is at 21%, right? And he's in tier yeah. one. So Lamb actually is a little better than Jamar Chase in that area. But the thing to remember with Lamb, um, you know, he's only going in his third season. Um, he's 23.4 years old. And if you look at his, if you look at his routes per drop back, so the number of times he's on the field when Dak Prescott was dropping back to pass, right around 75%, if you average it out for the last two seasons. Um, last year he missed a game, so that's part of it. But also when you had Amari Cooper, you had Cedric Wilson, you had Noah Brown, you had CD Lamb, and the Cowboys run a lot of play plays, right? If you take out, you know, overtime games over the last two years, they've run the second most plays two years in a row. And so they're a high volume offense. And so they wrote, they'll rotate, you know, the receivers. Well, now you don't have Cedric Wilson to be out there anymore. You don't mm-hmm. have Amari Cooper to be out there anymore. So CD lamb, the average wide wide receiver two gets about 85%, an 85% drop back per route um, percentage. And so CD lamb has been 10% below that and already putting up wide receiver two um, seasons. So my bet on lamb, like in my project projections right now, I have him at almost 90% of the routes. And like, when you look at the Cowboys offense, like, and, and that's what a, that's a lot of, a lot of your main receivers on teams get 90 to 95% mm-hmm. of the routes. Right. But I just don't see how lamb doesn't get that this year if he's not hurt. Right. Because who, who's going to bump him off the field. So by that alone, there is a huge upgrade for lamb. That's going to be coming um, just in the additional 15 to 20% of routes that he's going to get to be on the field whenever Dak's passing the ball. So even if his targets per route didn't go up, like Lamb's going to pick up, you know, 15 to 20 targets just on being on the field more. Mm-hmm. Now, if he takes a step forward on top of that, which his profile suggests, because most guys that profile the way Lamb has have gone on to eventually take a big step forward, it may not be this year. It could be the next year, right? And then we have some players that get stuck, Daniel. We have Amari Cooper. Never mm-hmm. could really get out of yep. tier two. Um, we've seen so far with uh, DJ Moore kind of stuck as a tier two player. But what I love about Lamb is everything else lines up too. He's got a team that we already talked about is going to run a huge amount of uh, plays. If you look at Vegas, they have them at 10 and a half wins. That's clearly um, dark blue, you know, on my table. If you look at the quarterback ADP for Dak right now, as of yesterday, an underdog, it's ninth overall. If you look at projected dropbacks per game, that's really high. 
And then you look at top 36 wide receivers, top 12 tight ends on the team. The only other player going in there is Dalton Schultz. So it's CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz. Yeah, we like Jalen uh, Tolbert. Yeah, we like um, Michael Gallup, but coming off of a knee injury. So literally, it's just it's wheels up, man, for Lamb. You know, it's a young player. Um, he's going to get a bump in targets, even if he doesn't get better. Um, but if he does take that step better, like I think he's the most likely guy taken after Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase. I would put Stefan Diggs in this conversation too. I think those mm -hmm. are the other two guys that are most likely. In fact, that's what I named this over this tier period. It's the most likely to catapult into tier one A, right? We're, yep. And so what I mean by that is next year we're drafting which one of these receivers that we're drafting this year that we think might be, you know, tier two, tier three players. We're going to definitely think are tier one players next year when we draft. I think CD Lamb would be my number one vote. Stefan Diggs would be number two. That makes a lot of sense. And the situation, like you said, it only got better for CD. I've seen over the last couple of months, just this kind of, the, the market kind of seems a little lagged on CD Lamb because he did underproduce the first couple of years in terms of what people thought he was going to be coming out. So regularly, I'm trying to get people to understand that much like you're saying, the situation for CD has gotten 10 times better. And the talent is, is clearly there. The way that he was used at Oklahoma beforehand, but comes into the NFL, having all of that ability as well with the yak, still having the ball ability down the field. I think that's something that really goes under the radar for him. The yak ability hasn't been utilized properly, in my opinion, at, at, in Dallas. Maybe we see that more this year. And again, right outside your top three in tier 1A at 1B. I think that's perfect for him. And the very last guy we're going to talk about. The good about, thing is that the yak has shown up. The explosive play rate, so those are target rates. So those are targets where you go 15 yards or more. 25%, you know, is is really good. He's in a he's 5.5 yak. So he's better than most receivers oh, okay. at yak. He still gets to work deep. Um, mm -hmm. So to your point, like they haven't necessarily used him enough in those areas, but he's already flashed the ability to do it. Like, so he's essentially he's checked every box that I need to see. The, the last step he needs to take is one more step forward in targets. But because he's already got this built-in floor of, well, wow, we know he's just going to get to be on the field more. So just kind of give people an idea. If C.D. Lamb just stays at his 22% targets per route run, but instead of running, instead of being on the field for 75% of the time that Dallas passes, he's out there for 90%. He's going to see 140 targets in that scenario yep. alone. If he goes up to a 24% targets per route run and he's out there 90% of the time for Dallas, that's 151 targets. Like the upper end of his range, is he stays out there for 95% of the routes and say he just gets to 26% targets per route run, which is 25% is the threshold most wide receiver ones get to. So if he does that and he's out there for 95% of the routes, which is, this is not just like, this isn't, this is what I hate about range of outcomes when people mm -hmm. they give range of outcomes and you're like, yeah, but like at what percentile of their range could they really hit that? How reasonable is it for lamb? It's very reasonable. Like he could have 160 to 175 targets. Yeah. Like if he, if he just takes a small step forward, you know, and is from a talent perspective, and then the other part's pretty much automatically going to be given to him all these other routes. But if he's at 95% of the routes and 26% of the uh, target per route run, he'd be at 173 targets in that scenario. Like I have him projected for 151. That's where I have him right now. For uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it, it fits perfectly with, with everything that's gone around around him. The probably missing of Michael Gallup for the beginning of the season. I think most of us expect him to start on the PUP list to begin the season. And then again, you have Jalen Tolbert and Dalton mm -hmm. Schultz as the guys and James Washington, if you feel comfortable about that. But yeah, he should see easily the lion's share of 
the targets there. And I could see the upper echelon of that fitting very, very, very easily for his outcome. The very last guy we're going to talk about in your top 10 is another polarizing player and someone that in your rankings you're a bit higher on than consensus is T. Higgins. He is in the the beginning of your two A tiers at the top there, just ahead of A.J. Brown. And he's a very, specifically for me, a polarizing player because while I don't necessarily always like what he does on the field, there's one area that he's exceptional, like elite talent, ball skills down the field. So much so that Joe Burrow basically says, I don't care if you have two or three guys on you, I'm going to throw it downfield to you and trust you to go get that ball. And he's shown up and gotten that that whole issue solved for Joe Burrow. It's one of the reasons that J- Jamar Chase isn't the number one guy overall because the target share that T Higgins commanded last year. So what do you think about T Higgins this year in that offense that has two top 10 guys on your list and Joe Burrow at quarterback? Yeah. So for Higgins, number one, right, he's already got a wide receiver three and a wide receiver two finish like lamb. And when you hear me talk about where the receivers have finished, this is PPR scoring. Also I am using averages since 2011 for those positions. So what is a wide receiver 12 averaged since 2011? Because like you'll see certain players that'll be, oh, he was a wide receiver two last year. But when you look at him, he was really like 30 points below what we would consider a wide receiver two. So I don't do that. Like I don't just say, oh, he was a wide receiver two this year. I'm literally pitting the players data against like what is the wide receiver 12 or wide receiver 13. Um, so wide receiver ones, wide receiver twos, right? Um, they're, they're 12 spots each. So when you hear me talking about it, because some people are like, no, he was a wide receiver, whatever last year. So if you hear it and it doesn't sound like what you thought <laughs> it was, is because I'm using these, I think it's better to create these stable benchmarks, right? Based mm-hmm. on history versus just what happened in one season where because a bunch of receivers were hurt or whatever, right? All of a sudden we had these wide receiver three scores getting wide receiver two finishes, right? So um, just to clear that up, but with Higgins, you know, wide receiver three finish already, wide receiver two finish already. So that's really a great mark in the first two seasons alone. And you look at his PFF receiving grades, uh, he was a 79.0. I did some research earlier this off season based on some stuff I had seen from Jacob Sanderson on Twitter and just really looking at PFF receiving grade in a rookie year. And uh, man, if you get over a 75 as a PFF rookie uh, for your receiving grade um, by PFF as a rookie, like historically, it's been a huge hit rate on guys that go on to produce uh, top 24 seasons in the next two years. And so Higgins, obviously, he's already done the top 24 thing. Really, mm-hmm. the next step is just can he can he get a wide receiver one finish? And so, yeah, the profile sets up really nice. You mentioned Jamar Chase. But I think there's a lot of ways, right? So Higgins checks all the talent boxes. We talked earlier, right? It's talent first, then we want to mm-hmm. look at the situation. And so Higgins is, is golden, like in those areas. In fact, like he looks really similar to CeeDee Lamb. Um, and, you know, not quite as good yards after contact, but the explosive plays are still there. We know he can work deep down the field. We know he can be an effective target inside the 10-yard line in the end zone. He checks all those boxes. Um, the thing is, will the Bengals actually open things up like they did yeah. at the end of last year, right? Because early in the year, man, it was just a slow offense. It was a slog. Um, they were still willing to run the ball quite a bit. Like they were below the NFL average and a lot of different, um, different game scripts as far as their willingness to throw the ball and how many plays they were running. And then as we got later and later in the season, you get in the playoffs, like we kind of saw this different Bengals offense start to bloom. Right. And it was really what, you know, obviously as fantasy players, what yeah. we had all hoped to see like the whole season. Like we're like, this is what we've been looking for. Mm-hmm. And, um, but th- there were reasons, right? Joe Burrow was getting, had a really high sack rate. So they've addressed yeah. the offensive line. So with Higgins, if I knew that the Bengals were kind of come out and, and, and I felt 100% 
that they were going to do what they did at the end of last year, which is the hardest part to project because we just don't know. Coaches mm -hmm. are human beings and we don't know what they're going to do. We know what we think they should do, what we think, right? <laughs> Based yeah. on the data we look at, but they could still totally throw us off with it. Um, so I like to have a little better track record than that. So I've baked a little bit of it into T Higgins. I'm assuming they're going to overall throw the ball a little more this year, but I didn't want to get too crazy with it. I have them at 39.1 dropbacks, which is basically above average, um, but I don't have them, you know, super high. Um, but when you look at Higgins, you look at Higgins, you know, even if they remain like they did last year, like I think it's going to be hard to keep him out of the top 12 um, fantasy wide receivers this season. Um, but if you if they do take a step forward, which the industry thinks is going to happen right now, Joe Burrow mm -hmm. is QB. Uh, he's QB five right now. Yeah. Um, team projected wins for the Bengals, 10. Um, look at the other players in the top 36. Uh, and, you know, you can make an argument for Tyler Boyd, but he's not in there right now. It's just T. Higgins and it's just, um, you know, Jamar Chase. So he's really checking all almost all the boxes. His situation's not quite as good as C.D. Lamb. The yards after the catch, not quite as good as C.D. Lamb, but really checks all of the other boxes. A young player as well, only going to be 23.7 years old going into his third season. I have T. Higgins uh, in the same tier with A.J. Brown, Michael Pittman Jr., and Jalen Waddle, and I have him at the top of the tier, and I have him above Mike Evans, and I have him above Keenan Allen, who are in the tier below. Now, again, these are all tier two wide receivers, so you can still make your choice. Mm -hmm. If you just love Mike Evans, you want to go with him, you can take Mike Evans over T Higgins but when you look at the data and the way I've got it all laid out for you T Higgins is a more talented player at this point in his career and he's younger Mike Evans is going to be 29.1 years old when the season starts so he's reaching that age in his archetype where it will start to push his rank you know his ranking down it doesn't necessarily push his projections down but you have to start accounting for like the, the fall off for Evans and Keenan um, Allen could happen at any moment like it could be this year like it could be you don't think it's coming and all of a sudden oh my god i can't use this player anymore right now obviously that can happen with any player um but you know we know that the as, as these receivers get older they do they do age so i like p higgins over mike evans who he's going after and drafts right now and i like him over keenan allen yeah i get that it definitely makes sense to account for that age especially because like you said when you get older those injuries can come up even quicker and they can keep you out for longer and impact your overall recovery rate at an even greater rate. So guys that have that youth, that youth definitely you want to bet on that have those elite kinds of outcomes. And, and just for my own peace of mind, I am more of a film-based analyst, but I am attempting to incorporate more statistics and models into my and own analysis and part of the reason i wanted to have you on is to talk about this and and get a better idea of everything that you do to help you know grow myself that's what we're all trying to do here is grow as analysts and and t higgins like i said for me when i watch him i see a guy who's not going to separate he's not going to be the best yak player because he doesn't have that type of hip dip he doesn't have the type of hip flexion ankle flexion to create after the catch like a cd lamb but what he does and the trust that joe burrow has in t higgins i think you can't replicate so being that high on him especially as a, a touchdown kind of machine in that offense i have no issues with myself because as i've I've gotten into it more like i said the statistics and the models bear it out it's hard for me to ignore the data as much as my mind is saying you the guys that you want to get are, are guys that can make big plays with a smaller catch rate like jamar chase against the chiefs last year took a seven yard 
screen pass for a touchdown. Like it's hard to replicate that kind of explosive play, uh, but T Higgins can do it in different ways. So yeah, I'm, I'm growing on him. He's growing up my own rankings in my mind. So it was nice to get that nice in depth. And, and one kind of backdrop, like for Higgins that I think helps, like one thing I like to look at is like, how did they perform against man and how did they perform mm-hmm. against zone? Assuming they've got enough um, routes to actually count the sample size, but, but Higgins was really good against both. So anytime I have that kind of question in the back of my mind, cause I like to watch all the players too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I come in, like my first job in this industry was actually working with Matt Waldman. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I love watching the film and everything as well. And I think really the perfect world is where Daniel, all of that comes together. Yeah. So when we have shows like this, someone like you, that you're watching more film than me at this point, I'm crunching, you know, probably more numbers than you are at this Wait. point. Right. And I got this history <laughs> that I've built it on, but where we come together and we have these conversations, I think that's what people are looking for. It's like, mm-hmm. where do you meet in the middle and how do you have the conversation? So one of the things that I try to do, um, if I know there are data points that I can help to pull in to really help me, even when I'm watching the film, um, and what am I looking for? Like, why is this player struggling against mm-hmm. man? Was it just like variance or like when I watch them and I just single up, here's every time they face press man, they just can't beat it. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. And so I try to do little things like that. And that's one thing I did note with Higgins immediately is his yards per route run, which is, which is a really great indicator as well as his targets per route run against both man and zone. He was really good. He didn't, he, it wasn't like he was just used against one and was really weak mm-hmm. against the other. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And again, I think that the trust, if it was with a different quarterback, it might be a little different. I think that Joe Burrow, his accuracy and his trust and his basically, I don't care. I think that's part of what makes Joe Burrow a a great NFL quarterback is that he trusts his players and can deliver the ball accurately, even if they don't necessarily create the best separation. So T Higgins definitely has earned that trust with his catch radius, his great hands, and Joe Burrow having that chemistry very, very very easily to see in his early career that he and Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase are going to be an incredible matchup for years and years to come. Let's go ahead and get to the next part because I think this is, is always fun when you put everything into your models and you get up with it. You're like, oh, this person is higher than I thought they were going to be or this person is lower than I thought they were going to be. I don't, I want to, if you have any, yeah. any guys that you had originally thought would be higher in your models that ended up being, you know, maybe a little bit lower or vice versa that you could talk a little bit about. Yeah, we'll start first with a player that I thought would end up a little bit lower, but they ended up being higher, and that's Michael Pittman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he'll be 24.9 years old going into his second season this year. And I mean, I really think Pittman is like, um, you know, he's more of a possession guy, right? He's not yeah. a huge yards after the catch. Doesn't mean he can't deliver plays after the catch. We saw him do it. We saw him do it on a drag route as a rookie, right? He yeah. had a really big run. But a lot of those things can come down to angles. What did the defense do? How much of it is the player? Like th- there can be so much noise and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Th- that's why this, as the sample size grows and grows and grows, like the more confident we can get about players. Yeah, for sure. um, but with Pittman, um, you know, the big thing: twenty-four percent target share only in his rookie in his second year. Um, a twenty-two percent targets per route run. A one 1.95 yards per route run. So just to kind of give some context, again, I like to give these benchmarks and I like to look historically, what have wide receiver ones, twos, and threes, not just done from fantasy points, but the guys that have finished at the top, like what do they look like, right? Mm-hmm. And their targets per route run. What do they look like in their yards per route run? Because at the end of the day, we're, we're all about prognosticating. We're trying to be ahead of the curve on finding guys that are going to be better this year than they were last year. And we want to get them on our rosters. And then we want to avoid guys that we think are going to be worse. So 
I like leading indicators like these that we're talking about. And so whenever you talk about um, targets per route run, you know, he's already at a 22%. So that's, that matches his wide receiver two finish. So like, he's yeah. actually like the underlying data points are checking out his yards per route run also check out as a player that should be a wide receiver two, because sometimes you'll get these guys that will flash and you'll be like, man, like how did he finish as a wide receiver two last year? And then you go look at the data and you're like, well, wow, like, yeah, his raw points were there, but everything else screams that this guy's really a wide receiver three. Maybe regression yeah. is like coming this following year. And so with, with what I love about Pittman is a lot of folks seem to just, well, for whatever reason, like they're just sleeping on the fact that he already had this wide receiver two season last year. Um, his ADP is sitting like between 15 and 20 on most main sites. I have him ranked number 11. You know, mm -hmm. I have him in that same um, tier with T. Higgins, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddell. I have him third in that tier right now. Um, so I think every I love everything about his game. The only thing that comes out more is like average has not been used deep down the field that much. Um, 15% is below the league average um, for his number of targets coming 20 yards or more down the field. His yak is neutral at a 3.9. So that's that's fine. It's in wide receiver three territory, not wide receiver two. But his explosive play rate is borderline wide receiver two. But the thing that you look at with Pittman is, you know, other top 36 ADP wide receivers or top 12 ADP tight end receivers on his team, none. They drafted yep. Alec Pierce, but I don't think Alec Pierce was ready for the showtime. Like I, I, Alec Pierce, honestly, is a player I didn't like that much coming out. But now he's got second round capital, you know. And, you, and maybe you've got you, you may have some thoughts on Alec Pierce. But the way I look at Pierce is, yeah, he might end up being nice. But this this is Pittman. Pittman gets another year to have an opportunity to just truly just he could throw up a thirty percent target share, right? You know, he could take a small step forward in his ability. But the way that this team is built. He could end up garnering 30% of the targets. Um, you know, if he wasn't on a team that wanted to run the ball so much, mm -hmm. like he might have finished at the top of this tier. Um, but we know the Colts, like it may not work out that way because of game scripts, but we know that the the coaching staff, what they want to do is run the ball. But the other thing you get for Pittman this year is an upgrade um with Matt Ryan. And and you wouldn't think that Matt Ryan is really that big of an upgrade from Carson Wentz. And like if you're just ranking them as fantasy players. They're both two guys you probably don't want to really draft, but yeah. it does make a big difference for Pittman because um, Matt Ryan was more um, accurate than um, Carson Wentz at every single level of the field last year, whether it was behind the line of scrimmage, the zero to nine yards, they were neutral, um, but 10 to 19 yards, your intermediate throws, Matt Ryan, much more accurate than Carson Wentz and deep was more accurate. Also more accurate against pressure, more accurate in a clean pocket, more accurate on play action what the Colts like to use quite a bit. So I think even though we, we won't get a ton out of Matt Ryan this year for fantasy purposes, and some of that ties back to the fact the Colts want to run the ball more, but I think Matt Ryan can still be an efficient quarterback at this point in his career. Um, yeah, he's getting older, but man, like we've seen these quarterbacks continue to play like into their forties. So I think Matt Ryan still has a few years left and I think all those things come together. So you check the talent boxes for Michael, for Michael Pittman. He doesn't check as many as uh, Jamar Chase and CD lamb, uh, but that's why he's in the tier below. That's why he he's in this tier. Not just because I thought, oh, let's, let's just put Michael <laughs> Pittman in this tier. It's because literally his profile says the players I have him grouped with, he's similar to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so their range of outcomes are also going to be similar because of that. So, yeah, I, I really love Michael Pittman this year. Um, it's honestly it was hard for me to find anything other than the fact the Colts run the ball so much and he's not a great yak player. Like those are really the only two negatives on his profile. And those aren't enough, like, um, you know, to hold a guy out of being a wide receiver one just because like the depth chart and the pecking order is so wide open and he's already proven that he can demand targets. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me is he's a guy who, again, I wasn't huge on his tape, but again, 
he's got everything. He's got like the CeeDee Lamb situation in terms of there's no one around him to, to garner those targets. And the way that Indianapolis uses their tight ends, there's never going to be a singular guy at tight end that just commands targets. They use like three or four of them all the time. And Jonathan Taylor is not going to be a guy you use down the field either. He's more of a check down and, and a swing running back as, as good as he's been in his career at catching hit the ball, he's still not a route runner, and they don't want to use him that way. So Michael Pittman is just going to eat up targets. And another thing that I found interesting is obviously Carson Wentz likes to throw the ball into contested catch situations. That's just kind of what he does. He, he wants his receivers to make plays on the ball. And Pittman had 20, I believe, 28 of those targets last year and came down with 18 of them. And regardless of whether that is an inaccurate ball in the other 10, is <laughs> yeah. really probably more what I'm leaning to with Carson Wentz. But he's a guy who's proven that in situations – that he has to win the ball, which you're probably still going to see a bit with Matt Ryan in this offense that want to run the ball and maybe get some more play action throws across the middle of the field, which I think would benefit Michael Pittman. Those are the types of situations that Matt Ryan, at his declining age, that can't really get all the zip on the ball you'd want to, has a receiver he can trust to make those plays. So, again, targets, like you said, and now the situation for him is perfect. And I think that, yeah, he's, he's definitely a guy I've come – I've warmed up to a lot over the last uh, month or so. So, and just so people know, like when I'm looking at this, like this year, only eight receivers met the criteria I have to be a wide receiver one. I've got mm -hmm. three tiers. And so, really, okay. when we start talking about Higgins, AJ Brown, Michael Pittman, Jalen Waddle, they're all at the top of my tier two and they're in 2A. Yeah. Um, so, that alone tells you. And there was just a lot of crazy things that happened this offseason with where mm -hmm. uh, new players landed, um, yeah, right. you know, different coaching changes and things. Um, that created a lot of angst because, I mean, when you look at Deontay Johnson, quarterback change, DJ Moore, well, we didn't we were hoping for a better quarterback? Maybe Corral uh, can be something. Um, but at the same time, like right now, as far as we know, it's going to be Sam Darnold, and that wasn't good. Um, DK Metcalf going to play with Geno Smith, right? Doesn't have Russell Wilson anymore. So you got a lot of these really young players uh, with huge talent profiles. Like, the, And Terry McLaurin's really the same thing because now he's got Wentz. I would mm -hmm. give him a slight edge. Wentz, you, you know. It's, it's, it's not great, but we at least know he is a, he can be a functional NFL yes. quarterback, right? And, and we could get lucky and he could have a, he could, he could have a good year. We've seen him have a good year in the past. So, um, like whenever you see those guys, all of them, I ended up ranking a little bit lower than where I thought I would originally put them, but it was all, uh, and again, this is all weighted Michael Pittman. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about the situation. We talked about the talent. It's all, it's all and talent counts first. Talent matters yeah. more than the situation. But when you look at these other guys, like, you get Deontay Johnson, right? It could be Mitch Trubisky, who holds the ball a lot longer yep. than what Ben Roethlisberger Berger does when he drops stuff back to pass. Trubisky's much less of a timing concept quarterback and more yep. of a, let me hold on to it and see if I can make something happen, which, hey, some of the best quarterbacks in the league, Aaron Rodgers has that to his game. Patrick Mahomes has that to his game. Um, Russell Wilson has that to his mm -hmm. game. So so how long a quarterback holds on to the ball doesn't mean they're good or bad. Tom Brady gets it out quick. Great quarterback. You can be either one, right? Joe Burrow gets the ball out quick. Really good quarterback. Um, so you can it, it doesn't matter which one you are. You can win either way. But the problem is for Deontay Johnson, where I'm a little bit worried, is the fact that Ben at the end of his career, you know, was one, he was one of the shortest times to throw. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's basically ball hit my hand, throw it. And Deontay Johnson is an absolute beast in that area. He gets open underneath, gets open in the intermediate. And like, that was Ben's favorite guy. I mean, his, uh, his targets per route run last year, 27%. That is, that's a wide receiver one mark. Um, his 1.89 yards per route run is right at a wide receiver two threshold. 
Um, so, I mean, Deontay Johnson, like 74.6 PFF receiving grade last year as right at a wide receiver one um, threshold. So he's really a wide receiver one talent, but yeah. on a team that now will either have, you know, Trubisky throwing or we get Kenny Pickett and it's going to be, a, so he's a rookie, right? And I expect them to run the ball more. Ben was basically running the offense and he's gone now. So I think Matt Canada going to run a lot more stuff under center. So I think we're going to get less passing plays. Um, the quarterback play could be, you know, you know, it's not like Ben was great quarterback play, but he was a good fit for what Deontay does. So Deontay is an interesting one because like if you were just grading on talent alone, honestly, he should be up there next to Stefan Diggs and CD yeah, lamb and Devonte Adams. Like he should be in their tier, but because of the situation and it's just red across the board, I've only got them at 36 dropbacks per game, which is below the NFL average. I've got them. Uh, well, the projected team wins right now for Vegas seven and a half. So we're in a 17 game season. Obviously, we're used to seeing Pittsburgh be over eight in every 16 game season. So I mean, um, and then as far as their quarterback ADP rank right now, Pickett is the first one going off the board, not until pick 30. And you got to deal with Chase Claypool, who also, um, even though he took a step back last year, you know, checks a lot of boxes on a guy that should still be able to be a wide receiver three and could still have a wide receiver two or a wide receiver mm -hmm. one season. And they go ahead, even though they move on from Juju, who was really deteriorating, right? They go ahead and add Pickens in the draft. You got Pat Fryermuth, who had a nice rookie season as a tight end. So all those things together, quarterback questions, crowded room, um, probably not going to be a high-quality team. Like, it wouldn't surprise any of us, right, if the Steelers win 10 games, but it won't surprise us either if this is the year they win five. Like, that could also mm -hmm. happen. So Deontay Johnson, um, lower than I thought I would be on him. But I ended up being pretty close to the market. The market right now, I've got him ranked 16, Tier 2C. Um, underdog has him at 17, FFPC, um, thanks to Fantasy, Fantasy Mojo. That's a full PPR league. He's 14. So I'm almost right at the market, but lower than – where I thought I would be because I, I I bring the market in last, right? Because mm -hmm. I really want to kind of be like going through my process of trying to stack these guys out. And I don't want like ADP, like any, like overly influencing me. I want it to influence me at the end and make me go, whoa, I'm way off from this. Why would I be? Yeah, I think that the best situation for Deontay would be Kenny Pickett. And then like you said, everything else just goes against him. And they're going to definitely run the ball more with Kenny Pickett. Is the offensive line any better than it was? Because if it is, they're still going to have to, one, get the ball out quickly. And then if you have a rookie quarterback, where does he know where to go with the football? That's another thing is that Big Ben knew exactly where Deontay Johnson was supposed to be, where he was going to be, and how bad the offensive line was. That makes a perfect situation for him to be successful, like you mentioned. And a rookie quarterback is not going to be able to do that in the exact same amount of time that Ben does, unless he's just one read and it's only to Deontay Johnson. So it's this whole this whole tier is interesting, right? McCoy, yeah, really Deontay is. Johnson, DJ Moore, DK Metcalf. I would argue that they are the reason that Mike Evans is going at pick eight on underdog. Um, pick nine on underdog because people are looking down the list and you know like whenever i named this tier um you know i was sitting here i was i, I try i can't name every tier like something creative like yeah. you're, you're trying to but like for this one you know when i was sitting here looking at it and i was like well i mean like and i can say this because i'm a boomer like tier 2b with evans and keenan allen are boomers and booming offenses right yeah. you know they both have great quarterbacks you know they're going they both throw the ball a lot um, they may have target for competitions, but these are guys we've seen be really good. But this next tier down, 2C, ascending players we love and offenses that make us quiver in fear, which is essentially like just because it's not just one thing. There's multiple things yeah. about all of these teams. So in, in a normal year, like if you still had Russell Wilson in Seattle, right, if we had gotten an upgrade for DJ Moore at quarterback, if the drop from Ben Roethlisberger 
you know, had been to, you know, a better option than Mitch Trubisky somehow. Um, if Terry McLaurin, you know, you know, and Carson Wentz is, is okay. Like we said, but if he had, if any of these guys had good quarterbacks, they would all be in the, they would all have a shot at being inside the top 12, but yeah. because of the way things have happened, um, you know, it's pushing them down the boards and it's pushing other guys up, which is another thing that always makes me leery. Anytime I look at a board and I'm like, wow, why are these guys going here? And I know part of it is because fear of what happens after that. Um, it doesn't mean you don't take the player like a guy like Mike Evans, but it also, I don't want it to be the driving factor. Then my thought is, okay, is there a way I could pivot to a different position in the draft? Right. Cause I love yeah. Mike Evans, but taking him as an early third right now, man. And, and since we talked about him so much, I should probably just mention Daniel. Like, so I, I he ends up, a, I'm lower than market on him as well. He didn't end up lower than what I thought he would be just because I knew that he was getting older, but yeah. his targets per route run yards per route run, all those things have all been going down consecutively over the last three seasons. So it's not just that he's age 29. It's all of his underlying metrics have been on the way down. Um, now he was awesome last year. Once Chris Godwin was out when AB was out, didn't matter. Didn't help Mike Evans really at all. So a lot of that's probably going to Russell Gage, but whenever you look at, you know what happened when Chris Godwin went down, that's whenever he really turned into this player that scored a lot more points. And if you look at it, why he was getting to play all over the field, all of a sudden before Godwin was getting all the underneath and the slot route stuff. And Evans was just playing outside and going deep and Brady will not force the ball to you whenever you're facing cover three, cover four, and you got, you know, a cornerback and a safety in your area, he's not going to heave the ball down the mm -hmm. field. So Mike Evans targets per route run against man coverage have actually gone down or sorry, against zone coverage have gone down since Tom Brady arrived. Now, if Brady sees him out there, single coverage, man, He's going to Mike Evans, and Evans is still an absolute beast yep. in that situation. The problem is NFL teams only run man coverage about 30% of the time. 70% of the time, they're in zone. You yep. will play certain teams. Like the Dolphins ran the most man coverage in the league last year, and it makes sense when you look at their two really good cornerbacks, Byron Jones, Xavier Howard. Like They're great. Like So you can run man coverage 60 70% of the time. The Patriots, every once in a while, when they have two really good uh, cornerbacks, will run that much man coverage, but most teams don't. Most teams are primarily going to rely on zone. So yep. those are the things with, with a guy like Evans, um, why I have him below T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, some of these other guys. Yeah, I think for at least for my driving force and what I can imagine other people are taking Mike Evans is because the doubt surrounding Chris Godwin. There's not much known about when he's going to be back on the field for them. They haven't said anything about it. They kind of just poked in around it. So maybe that's driving people to take Mike Evans higher. And then it is the way I look at it though, is at some point Godwin's yeah, going to be back this year. For sure. And at some point I'm going to be in the playoffs of my fantasy, trying to win a fantasy championship. Mm -hmm. And there, I think there's a very good chance that by the time we get to those weeks, Mike Evans is not going to give you what he's going to probably give you over the first four to five weeks. I think Mike Evans is probably going to help you start really hot. Actually, I think Russell Gage is going to help you start really freaking hot. Mm -hmm. Like if, I agree if with Russell that. Gage last year, like what he has grown into over the last two seasons, man, people do not realize how good Russell Gage really is. But like if you look at his um, let me get down here to Russell Gage, like since so, so we're talking about, he's another guy like that just immediately popped up, you know, in, in my research. But yep. if you have a situation and he doesn't just need uh, Chris Godwin to not, you know, come back, like the, the bucks run plenty of 11 personnel, right? So you're going to yep. just see three wide receivers on the field all the time. This dude demanded a 35% targets per route run against man coverage last year. So the other closest guy to him in the league, you know who it was Antonio Brown. <laughs> and so, Shocker. And, yeah and it's not to say he's an ab he's not but i do believe this guy's a late bloomer he was a sixth round pick 
I think Brady um, was a big part of why they ended up getting Russell Gage um, and what Brady likes to do. We already talked about it. He likes to drop yep. back, get the ball out quick. That's not Mike Evans' game. That's kind of Chris Godwin's game, but he's more of a rugged run-after-the-catch kind of guy. A.B. was the guy. If you needed someone against man to immediately uncover right away, A.B. was the guy. And so I think they're going to be looking for Gage. But if you look at Gage, yards per route against man coverage, 2.91. 2.0 is great. 2.91 is like out of this freaking atmosphere. Uh, and, and so, yeah, Russell Gage, man, um, only going to be 26.6 years old when the season starts. Um, going to play on an offense that probably probably will throw the ball more than any other team in the league. It'll be top three for sure. 11 and a half wins projected by Vegas. And we all know Tom Brady's good, so I don't need to talk about his QB ADP. <laughs> so Gage could really boom um, right out of the gate. Um, and, and again, like they're both going to take a step back. Evans engaged once Godwin comes around. I do think Gronk still signs. I'm still I'm I'm calculating all this right now as Gronk still returning to the okay. Bucks. I think Gronk's just doing the Gronk thing, right? He's like, eh, I don't really want to sign until I have to. Um, but my guess is he's going to play. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I was someone who loved Russell Gage last year. He really bloomed when he was the only guy to go to, and then Matt Ryan finally figured out, hey. This guy's actually pretty pretty decent. Not only can he get un uncovered early, he's actually got a much higher catch rate than you expect for a guy his size, and he yeah. can catch the ball everywhere down the field too. So I think Tom Brady is going to like like that early. And as much as they want to get, I think some of their running backs on the ball a little bit early in those in short areas of the field, I think that Russell Gage can be somewhat. We're not trying to compare him to Antonio Brown because you can't do that. It's <laughs> a completely to, yeah, different to, player. We have to say that like 20 times. Yeah, AB right? is amazing. And dude, AB still at this point in his career, like if he could just get his get his act together, he can't. He still can't be covered even at this age, yeah, man. It's, it's nuts. I've the, never seen anything like it. The talent, and I, I've said this multiple times, the respect that I have for Mike Tomlin for keeping the crazy under wraps for as long as he did, I I don't know what he had to do to do that, but regardless, the talent of AB is, is unquestionable. He's going to be a Hall of Fame player at some point, even if, depending on what they do with his mental state, if he comes back around, maybe they accept him into that. But Russell Gage can be an early guy that wins, and then when you get time, when you have attention, we call gravity going to Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Russell Gage can be a huge benefactor of that and be a guy that ends up win, helping you maybe win some of your fantasy playoff matchups down the line. So really all just depends. That's all just prediction. And I won't want to get too crazy off the hinges with Russell Gage because it's all unproven things we have to see with Tom Brady and company first. But to close us out, I want to talk a little bit about some of the guys probably in that tier four A area that you could okay. see possibly jumping into the under parts of your tier two as early as 2022, just to give people an idea of players to look for that might have that same similar profile that end up popping. Yeah. So just, Tier four, you know, receivers specifically tier four A, right? Mm -hmm. So these are just a lot of the younger guys that have flashed. Yeah. So you love taking them as an upside wide receiver four. Um, if you're playing best ball, you're probably going to get spike week value out of them no matter mm -hmm. what, but they could actually be more, right? And so the list yeah. is Garrett Wilson, Sky Moore, Chris Olave, Hunter Renfro, Brandon Ayuk, Kadarius Tony, Chase Claypool and Christian Watson. So let's start like with the vets. I'll, I'll hit on each of these guys really, really quickly. And if there, if there's a guy you want me to go deeper into, mm -hmm. like tell me, but the vets are easiest to start with because we've got the most data on them. So Kadarius Tony, like only out there for basically 200 routes, Dear, nearly didn't have enough routes to even where I could count his sample size, mm -hmm. but he just made it. But man, the big thing, 
targets per route run, 26%. And if you watched him at all last year against Dallas and what he oh, yeah. did against, <laughs> um, you know, Trayvon Diggs, had him all turned around. Like, this is a player that clearly has talent. Um, he's also clearly got off-field issues. I don't know what they are. I don't claim to know what they are. But they're, they're, where there's smoke, there's often fire. Yeah. This is a team that talked about trading Kadarius Tony. I don't think they could get the offer that they wanted. Um, and so they've end up still having him on the team. They go on and they draft Wandell Robinson in the second round, right? A small receiver that would have to play in the slot, which is really where Kadarius Tony was at his best last year. Now, now I will say Tony can play outside as well. Like he's good enough to uncover from the outside, operate more like a Z, you know, play underneath. He can win downfield, but really the best way to use Kadarius Tony is let him uncover quickly. Let those yak skills go to immediate work for you. 6.0 yards after the catch is really good so just just a hyper explosive player that we have a a small um, sample size on the beauty is now his adp is dropping like he was a sixth seventh round pick now he's dropped to the 10th round what's funny about this there's a disconnect and this is kind of a side topic but wandell robinson no one gives him any respect no one's drafting him yep yet Kadarius tony's falling so like which is it like so for me I like trying to grab Tony in every draft I can right now because everything here is still true. And what if he does get traded? Like the situation exactly. get better. And now the price tag being a 10th or 11th rounder is enough that when I take him, if he busts, you know, it, it doesn't kill me. Before I was a little worried about Tony, but you know, the Wendell Robinson thing, you know, it's like, whatever, like if Tony's really good enough, he's going to get on the field anyway. And so I just wanted the cheaper price tag from a standpoint of drafting. So that's, that's the story with Tony, um, mm-hmm. small sample, but oh my God, like really, <laughs> really good. Chase Claypool only going to be 24.2 years old. He's in the 10th, 11th, 12th rounds now, but he's already got a wide receiver to finish to his name as a rookie. Um, this is a player that is solid after the catch. He's really good whenever you try to get him the ball, like in that rebounding fashion in the end zone, an explosive guy. You look at his target shares, targets per route around 20%, 22%. So he hasn't taken that true. He like, like lamb, some of the other guys hasn't taken this huge step forward on his own to be like, Oh my gosh, like, well, he's got a teammate Deontay Johnson. That's a 27%. So he knows what elite looks like, but Claypool is a guy that even on less targets, you know, because of his ability to make plays, his ability to be a factor in the end zone, like he can still, he has a lot of outs. There are a lot of ways he can come through. He's still really young. So he's a, he's, and he's my favorite kind of profile Mm -hmm. a player that had a really good first year, Took a little bit of a step back last year, but the profile was still not bad. Like if you look at it, you guys go over to PFF, you pull this up, you're going to look at Chase Claypool and you're like, oh yeah, Dwayne said, and it's light blue pretty much across the board. Then you get to a situation, which we've already talked about with Deontay yep. Johnson. We have to talk about it again. But with, with Claypool, definitely checking you know all the boxes. Brandon Ayuk. Man, a really good receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a rookie, hit the hit the the uh, an eighty. I think his rate as a his receiving grade as a rookie was actually an eighty, if yeah. I remember correctly. He had a seventy six point zero PFF receiving grade last year. And if you go look at the list of players that have that have been an eighty in their rookie seasons, it's like the best of the best. So Brandon Ayuk, Brandon Ayuk, talent not a question. Also another big yak guy, explosive plays, explosive target rate thirty three percent. Like that's one of the best ones yeah. in the league. What's the problem? Got to deal with Debo Samuel. You got to deal with George Kittle. You're in a run first offense. Mm-hmm. We have no clue if Trey Lance is going to be good or not. What I hope, I know most people say, man, I hope they trade Jimmy G so we can just see Trey Lance. <laughs> if you're a Trey Lance fan and you're going to draft Trey Lance, that's what you want. If you're going to draft Brandon Ayuk or Debo Samuel or George Kittle, I hope that I hope Jimmy G is still the fallback plan. That way, if Lance yeah. somehow does bust, we at least know we have a floor, right, with mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo. And so with Brandon Ayuk, 
It's just a bet on talent, man, which you want to keep doing late in your drafts. You can get him around 9, 10, 11. Yep. Um, because look, NFL seasons, we don't know for sure what's going to happen. We, we try to project it the best we can. Debo Samuel could get hurt week one. George Kittle could get hurt week one. Um, the coaching staff could suddenly – 49ers pretty ingrained. We know what they are. They're probably not just going to change. But, look, like weird things happen. If the 49ers start losing all the time, like they could have to throw the ball more. There's a lot of ways that talent can end up winning out. So as I get later and later in the draft, I love targeting players that still have the talent that, that folks are letting fall. One more name that I'll name as a veteran, then we'll talk about the rookies, Hunter Renfro. Um, I, I see so much – you know, and I don't always go defend him because I don't just want to like, be a complete Hunter Renfro homer. But so many people, oh, Hunter Renfro, he just he was just good because, you know, um, Henry Ruggs got hurt. He was just good because Darren Waller was hurt, blah, 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 blah. Hunter Renfro has been flashing um, elite buy me, buy me, buy mm -hmm. me now signals since his rookie season. He was also over the 75.0 PFF receiving grade. He's cleared uh, a good receiving grade every single year of his career. He's cleared a good yards per route run grade every single year of his career. He's cleared a good targets per route run grade. He actually grades out as a wide receiver, too, on all of his underlying metrics, not just his counting stats from fantasy. These data points say Hunter Renfro is actually good enough to be a wide receiver, too, in fantasy football. He does have Devontae Adams now. I get it. That's definitely not a good thing for Hunter Renfro. I'm not <laughs> trying to say that it's not, but – it's like it's like miss me with all of this. Hunter yeah. Renfro was only good mm -hmm. because everyone left. No, Hunter Renfro demanded a lot of targets because he's good. If you want to make an argument about him being in the slot and that helping, I will agree. If you get to play slot, it's easier to get open in the NFL. You're usually getting a, a lesser corner. You usually get to play against a lot more zone coverage. And if it's zone, guess what? You're against a linebacker. You're against a safety. It's a mismatch for Hunter Renfro. What he can do in the breaks, the way he can run routes, no linebacker should ever be challenged to saying, hey, let's see if you can cover Hunter Renfro. <laughs> I don't care if it's a zone or what. Like, it's not fair. So, yeah, but the fact of the matter is Hunter Renfro is really good in the way that the NFL teams want to use him, the way they use slot receivers. And not every slot receiver produces these results Hunter Renfro mm -hmm. does. He's he, he grades out well above what most slot receivers look like. So really love Hunter Renfro. He's a player that, you know, look, if Adam's good, he's, I think Hunter Renfro is still going to get 18 to 20% of the targets. Yeah. I think Waller is going to get you know 20 22%, and I think you're going to see like 25% to Adams. I think you're going to see a very focused offense across these three guys um, that are really good. That's also, by the way, really good for Derek Carr this season with Josh yep. McDaniels calling the plays. You know, he's going to run something similar to what he did with Brady, um, where he kept his slot receiver on the field. Think of Wes Welker. Think of Julian Edelman. Think of hell, Jacoby Myers over the last few seasons. They don't come off the field. Hunter Renfro's never had that benefit before. So even if he takes a small step back in the pecking order because Devontae Adams is there, he's going to, again, he's going to probably run more routes than he's ever run in his career. Right, because uh, when you look at McDaniel's, he likes to keep three wide receivers on the field. And he doesn't even have to; he can just make it two, and he can put Hunter Renfro in motion. It can be Renfro and Devonte Adams with Darren Waller and Foster Moreau if they want. If they mm -hmm. want to run twelve. It doesn't matter. McDaniel's. That's the beauty of him. He finds a way to keep these guys that are normally just slot receivers on most teams. They get to stay on the field in two wide receiver sets, and so that's going to be really big for Hunter Renfro. So now that we've hit those guys, uh, which rookie do you want to talk about first? We'll just hit just two of these guys and i think we'll start with the one that's probably got the easiest track to playing and being the best of the bunch is chris olave yeah so with olave man like like the way i would you know describe olave um you know in a nutshell like i thought he was the most polished player coming out 
Um, and just not just from what I watched, but also mm -hmm. like from the data points that we love to, to look at Alave checked just a ton of boxes. And obviously like, if you look at the total haul that the saints ended up giving up in the end, like when you look at what it really cost them to get Chris Olave, you're like, Oh my God, like Olave like almost has to be amazing mm -hmm. to pay off what Mickey Loomis was, was doing for the saints. But like, whenever you look at him, I'm um, so now I'm, I'm talking college data points. Now, um, whenever you look at his uh, career yards per route run, a 2.80, that is really, really way up there. Like mm -hmm. that, that's really elite. You look at his uh, career explosive target rate, 25%. So remember those, again, plays that go for 15 yards or more. So he's checking, you know, all of those boxes. And then whenever you look at, you know, where he lands with the Saints, yeah, Michael Thomas, like if healthy, like should technically be the first option, you know. Um, and, and then, you know, Kamara, like he's going to demand his targets as well. But what I like about Alave is he can really win at all the different levels. Like if you want him to uncover underneath, yep. he, he has that gear. If you want Chris Alave to work down the field, he can also do that. And he can be complimentary to what the Saints already have. If you want Thomas to run more intermediate and short, like he always has, um, you want Kamara in that same role, then you can use Alave more down the field because he can really do all the things. So the thing I loved about him the most is and even ahead of like his landing spot, I felt like he was one of the more insulated players that no matter where he landed, like his team could probably find a way to use him, right? He, he, yeah, could, he could he could feel, he was almost like this Swiss Army knife. Like he can do all the things. He may not be the best at any one of them, but but really a good player. Um, and as far as the routes, the NFL loves to run. So the staple routes for the NFL, you know, about 60 to 70% of the routes every year just come off of um, hitch routes, slants route, slant routes, crossing routes, in routes, and go routes. And he look, if you look at Alave, like he checks big boxes on mm -hmm. all those. He was really good on all of those routes. Um, so I think he's a guy that he's just NFL ready, man. That's the best way to put it for Alave. I love it. He's one of my favorite receivers really in this draft. And the things that Chris, you know, Ohio State had him do translate to the NFL. All of those routes you just talked about, everything that they wanted him to do, they didn't ask him to really be that yak guy that was Garrett Wilson, and that was now this past year, Jackson Smith and Jigba. They said, Chris Olave, you just kind of get open and be a guy downfield. We use you as well. But for the most part, we want you to kind of be this. He ran the toughest receiver. Routes. Yeah. He played he usually played against the better corners, mm -hmm. uh, tougher routes, more downfield. Um, you know, he didn't get a lot of the easy skinny stuff. No. That was, that's the thing. Like he, they knew that he was, he could handle all that stuff. And that's why the saints were like, we're going to go get him because I think that he's going to be, and then he just, he also showed the speed at the combine. Like he's not just a guy who can be an intermediate to slash deep route winner and not beat you downfield. He's got the speed to do so. So the last guy I think we should talk about is Sky Moore. His situation's a little murky this year, but I think, coming into next year we could see a little bit of a different situation so go ahead and talk a little bit about sky Moore. yeah i i absolutely love sky Moore. um so he's another guy that really popped when i looked at staple routes and mm -hmm. what his ability looked like across you know all all the guys coming in you know from the class um i know he comes from a smaller school and so obviously those things are concerns and we try to bake those things into yeah. everything that we're doing but um, I, I absolutely love him. I know he was a second round pick, but that doesn't really bother me, um, mm -hmm. you know, with where he landed. So, so here's the thing, you know, real quick on more, let's, let's hit like on him and then let's talk about the situation. Career yards per route run 2.92. So that's actually higher than what I just gave you at Alave. Yeah. Obviously a little bit less competition. His best dominator season, 41%. He hit that at age 21. Um, his career dominator, 28%. For folks that don't know what dominator is, it's basically your percentage of a team's yards and touchdowns, bringing them together, you know, um, of, of the receiving pie in college. And then if you look at his career explosive play rate, 
above the NCAA average, um, just above it at 25% um, of his targets going for 15 plus yards. And so getting that second round draft capital and going to the Chiefs like was uh, amazing for more, but he's a player that I already loved. And so here's the thing I'm going to say about the Chiefs for this year. Like, don't be surprised if Juju Smith-Schuster is a complete, complete and utter face plant. And, and the reason why is Juju, since 2018, when he had his breakout season, a complete slide in all of the underlying metrics. PFF receiving grade has gone from being one of the better young players to one of the worst in the league. His targets per route run have never really been better than a wide receiver three. You know, he's, he's typically around 17, 18, 19% targets per route run. So he's not really demanding a lot. Even in the years where he had these big seasons, it was more because the Steelers were throwing the ball so much mm -hmm. that that, that um, percentage ended up working out well for Juju. Uh, and it's not to take things away from Juju. He was also a good yak player early in his career, but he doesn't have that same gear. At least he hasn't the last couple seasons. Now, last year he played hurt for a lot of it. Two seasons ago he played hurt. Um, but he's never really been that good since he didn't have an alpha across from him in Antonio Brown. And so when I look at Juju Smith-Schuster, he's kind of a confounding player. Yes, he has these uh, a wide receiver one and a wide receiver two finish already on his fantasy uh, you know, resume. But man, everything underneath all of that, like, is just screaming, get out, like, get out. If you're in Dynasty, I would absolutely sell Juju Smith-Schuster right now. Like, I, I wouldn't hesitate to be like, oh, I'm going to wait for his blow-up game with the Chiefs. That's fine if you want to, but you may not get it. I think Sky Moore is going to be more involved in Chiefs offense this year than Juju Smith-Schuster when it's all said and done. And I'm for sure drafting Sky Moore in fantasy football drafts, um, you know, all the time. And I'm almost, I'm not, I have Juju Smith-Schuster 10 spots below his ADP right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and look, historically, when you go look for breakouts, like the positive for Juju is he's done it before. The negative for Juju is players, once they put up as many um, bad seasons where they're deteriorating like this, I don't have any on record that have ever bounced back from that and just broken out. Even when they've gone and land for other teams, the Chiefs kind of did a double whammy. Marquis Valdez-Scantling is the same thing. Marquis Valdez-Scantling, none of his underlying data points or metrics have ever even gotten to a wide receiver three level, ever. Yeah. And that's just counting for when he's on the field, not, not trying to say, hey, did you actually finish as a wide receiver three or wide receiver two in fantasy? Just did your underlying metrics when you were out there say that in the future you could be capable of being this? None of them. Like to me, they spent $30 million on MVS. You know, Juju was easy, right? One year, three and a half yeah. million with a lot of incentives. But that's the other thing with Juju. Two years in a row, a player as young as he is and no one wanted to give him any money. That is very telling to me, right? And I, I know on Twitter, I was in a conversation with someone else. We're like, yeah, well, nobody want to pay AB. Dude, that total different situation. AB was like going into his age 34 season and had driven, you know, a couple of teams crazy, right? Already with New England and with the Raiders. Very different situation. Smith Schuster is a young player, right? And then the argument, well, well, coming off an injury. Well, the year before he wasn't coming off an injury and he couldn't get a contract either. And he went back to the Steelers and didn't even get the franchise tag, right? They ended up being able to get him for less than the franchise tag. So with Smith Schuster, could it work out? Yeah, yeah, it, it could, but I'm much more into taking Sky Moore, especially the fact that you can get Sky Moore at pick uh, 39 right now on underdog 41 on FFPC. And you got to spend pick 27 on Juju Smith Schuster. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. I made the tweet earlier this season that Sky Moore is probably the most talented receiver on the roster in an encompassing fashion. Like he, he is the one question that I have being a, a Chiefs, also a Chiefs analyst, is that Andy Reid's offense is notoriously difficult to understand and learn. Coming from Western Michigan, his route tree was not the most diverse. The offense was the most was the most complex. So he'll 
early in the season, he's probably not going to give you a ton of return on that. But later in the season, if he starts to get the playbook, and then you also see a deterioration in Marquez Valdez-Cantling and Juice Schuster, that's when you're going to see him start getting those games. And he's he could easily be a league winner for you if you get him at the right value, and then he starts to learn see, I the think, offense. I think Sky Moore's ready. If I if you look at just the staple routes in the NFL, so hitch out, crossing slant, go in. Um, and you look at, you know, the fact that those make up, you know, the most, they make up 65% of wide receiver targets in the NFL, those routes alone. Right. And, and the ones below them. So basically where my cutoff was, they had, uh, over the last three years, since 2019 to 2021, at least had to make up 7% target share. Right. And so all the routes that make up at least 7% in the NFL are included. Sky Moore graded number one in the whole class and mm-hmm. his yards per route run on staple routes, 4.42. You look at him on hitch routes, he ranked number three. You look at him on slant routes, he ranked number one. He's in the top 12 of almost everything. Right. And so, like, from that perspective, like, he actually, along with, um, you know, Alave and some of these other guys, like, yeah, he played against lesser competition, but the routes that the NFL likes to use, Sky Moore actually blew almost everyone in this class away. No, I, I don't have any – I don't disagree with you at all. I just – from knowing a little bit more about what the Chiefs typically want to do with the receivers and using them all over the place, Andy Reid prefers them all to understand where they need to be on the field at the same time. So I only have – inklings about what they're going to do with him early on because i've seen it i've seen what rookies typically or younger players don't do in this offense early and not saying that he can't break out of that just it's more of a a hesitation on my own part because i've seen rookies come in and not grasp it right away and then they just kind of stay where they are and then it just takes a little while but i I think the question also becomes with reed right like okay who who have they really drafted who have they really brought in that are top talents I, i think you know I think Sky Moore is one of the guys, like, he's probably, what's the last real pick they spent on a skill position player round two or round one? Like, it was so, McCole Hardman. Uh, yeah, so, and, and Hardman was a complete reach. McCole mm-hmm. Hardman had been playing DB, you know, and had only been a receiver for two seasons and wouldn't have been ready for probably any team, you know. And so, for me, with Sky Moore, it's a little different just because the fact that, you know, I think the last first round pick receiver we've seen with Andy Reid was probably Jeremy, Jeremy Macklin in, in the Eagles. And so Sky Moore is not a first rounder, second mm-hmm. rounder. Um, so, I, I mean, I think I, I take that a little bit. I, I totally get what you're saying. But I think at the same time, we haven't seen a rookie on the Chiefs probably as good as Sky Moore um, playing receiver in a while. Right. Like I definitely mm-hmm. wouldn't put McCole Hardman in his class no, at all. Like no. I couldn't believe when they took McCole Hardman. I, I know he's fast and everything, and Miko could still like do something this season. The one thing with Miko that you can always look at is be like, you know, he wasn't playing his position, you know, very yeah. long in college. So yeah. there's always a little bit more runway you want to give to a player like that. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I'm 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 definitely sounds like I'm probably a little more bullish on Sky than you. No, that's and, and that's that's totally okay. Everyone can have their own players. Like I love the player. I really do. I think he's phenomenal. I probably would have taken him in the first round, honestly. I think he's that good of a player on the tape. And that's that's what I tried to, you know, I tried to tell. I just try to it, it maybe I let my my own hesitations with Andy Reid, the play caller and the the truster, and in Patrick Mahomes, the guy who trusts players, get a little bit more into my own views, but that's neither here nor there. The last thing, you know, I just wanted to say this was an absolutely great conversation, and I hope everyone got a lot of useful information out of this. Just let everyone know where they can find you, find your work, and what you're working on next. 
Sure. So we've been talking about the wide receiver tiers they posted last week. Um, today, the tight end tiers drop. Same thing. You nice. get the advanced data profiles that look at the ability to get open, the ability to do something after the catch, as well as the team situation. I tier them based on, you know, the way those things group out. And I almost honestly like to think of it sometimes as like, I don't even like if I were to look at this and not look at the names on the players, right? I'm looking for the data that tells me like that they're playing really well. I look for the data like around the situation. And so at the end of the day, you can still take the information that I give give to you and you can make your own choice, right? I, I tell you how I'm interpreting it based on, you know, historical context and what it usually means for fantasy. Yeah. But at the same time, there's room for interpretation with these things. If you want to do something different with, you can. So you've got wide receivers are up, tight ends are already up. My quarterback running back tiers are up, but I'm going to be going back and revamping them and adding this data into those as well over the next couple of weeks. Also had an article drop yesterday on wide receiver breakout candidates for 2022. And the whole first part of the article is basically just teaching you how to look for wide receiver breakout candidates. What data points do they usually have in common? If they haven't already had a wide receiver three or a wide receiver four finish, um, but they still manage to break out as a wide receiver two or a wide receiver one, like what, like what was the thing that precipitated that? You know, and not every receiver will have something, but mm -hmm. basically I got it to about 92% of the wide receivers that ended up becoming a wide receiver wide, uh, wide receiver one flash some sort of signal in these data sets like ahead of their breakout. So you can check that out. And then uh, next year, next week, yeah, I'll have some more on, I'll, I'll be revamping the running back tier. So that's most of the stuff that's coming up. And you can also check me out with Ian Harditz. We're doing the uh, team by team breakdowns right now. Um, and so we're going through every team and we'll be done with all of them by July. So there's pretty much a new pod out every single day um, over at PFF. Awesome. That is incredible. You guys heard everything. He's doing so much content. You might, you definitely want to go check that out. Everything you heard here, it's all in his work. He's great. He does everything. He knows what he's talking about and has it all written out for you person by person. That's going to do it for us today here on the Fantasy Football Astronauts podcast. This is Daniel Harms. We are blasting off. We will see you guys next time.